Uh, good to be together on this day. Thankful to God uh, for the good gift of work. It's part of His good design in creation. I'm grateful uh, that, that you pay me to be your pastor. What a good work this is to do, and I'm grateful for it. I know that God has called many of you to be many other things. God's called you to be teachers, farmers, nurses, law enforcement officers, whatever it might be. God has given us a, a variety of different callings, and part of God's good design is the work that He calls us to. But also, ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, work is hard. That's part of the curse, and it has been hard ever since then. Work is good, but work is What's the hardest and what kept you going in it? What's the hardest job you've ever had and what kept you going in it? I'm not sure that this was the hardest, but it was the first job I had. The first job I had, I think I was 14 years old and I started corn detasseling. And that was an unenjoyable job. You'd get wet and cold from the dewy corn leaves in the morning and then hot and sweaty with no shade in the afternoon. And what kept me going was like, hey, I'm going to get to the end of that row. And then at the end of that one, I'm like, I'm going to get to the end of that row and just kind of keep going and knowing I'm 14 years old and I'm going to get a paycheck. That kept me going as well. God had saved both Paul and Timothy, and he called them both to be ministers of the gospel. The younger of the two, Timothy, was more planted in one place as a pastor of the church there in Ephesus. His father, father figure in the faith, Paul, was more of a traveling missionary, but he's not traveling anymore because he's been imprisoned in Rome and is likely to be executed very soon. They're both doing gospel ministry in different ways, in different places, but at a time where it's a scary thing to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. Persecution was on the rise. And being a faithful minister of the gospel for Paul, Timothy, or anybody else in that day, well, that would likely bring about all kinds of suffering. And so, they are called to pass on the gospel of Jesus Christ, to spread it both deep and wide, and certainly there would have been points where they would have wondered, both of them, is this worth it? Like if, if, if doing the work that God's called us to do brings about this kind of suffering, how am I going to keep doing it? How am I going to endure? Paul, how has Paul endured? Paul, how are you going to tell Timothy how he's going to endure? Well, the letter begins with a great deal of encouragement. Then it moved to a reminder for Timothy of God's power and a call for him to be unashamed and to suffer for and guard the gospel. It's like Paul is telling Timothy, you can't quit. And so today, the themes that we've seen already kind of get uh, continued here at the beginning of chapter 2. It's going to switch gears a little bit starting next week when we look at verses 14 and following. But today I gave the sermon this title, Enduring to Pass on the Gospel. And I think Paul's message to Timothy is applicable to us today, and it is this. Strengthened by grace and looking beyond ourselves, we must endure in the hard, suffering-inducing work of passing on the gospel. If you're able to, would you stand? It is a privilege to be able to publicly gather and read the very Word of God. Let's pray. 
I come in, Father, believing this to be true, uh, that this is your very word, written down by the Apostle Paul, written to Timothy, but every word of it inspired by your Holy Spirit. And so would you humble us before you now as people who are grateful to be recipients of your revelation of yourself, the way you reveal the gospel and the way you reveal our own hearts as we look at your word. I pray that you would accomplish all that you desire to accomplish by your spirit through your word in these people at this time for your glory and for our good in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, today we look at verses 1 through 13 here, the word of the Lord. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Amen. You can be seated. Go ahead, if you find it useful to use the sermon notes page there, a couple blanks even for you to fill in this week as we walk through these first 13 verses of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now considering the context of suffering coming and just the job of pastoring the church in Ephesus being a hard one and Timothy being a guy prone to fear and anxiety, I love the gentle way that Paul always seems to address him. You notice that right away here in verse 1 again. It's a command, but it's such a gentle command. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, You then, my child. I love the way that Paul talks to Timothy. You then, my child. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul and Timothy and you and I, we don't just need God's grace in order to be saved. We need God's grace in order that we might be strengthened. Timothy needed to be strengthened, and he didn't need to be strengthened by his own effort, but by the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is what I even prayed for Bob as I went to meet with Bob at his house on Thursday. Had just a short time with him and I prayed that he would be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus because he is weak. I think Timothy is in a position here where he knows of his weakness in front of all of these forces around him that seem so strong and there's young, fearful, anxious Timothy and he needs to be reminded 
to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Paul gives him this gentle reminder and command there in verse 1. Timothy is going to need to keep going even as stuff gets harder. But what I love about verse 2 is that Paul is acknowledging that the most important thing to keep going is not Timothy. Because Paul knows for himself he's not going to keep going forever. Paul is in prison and he probably knows that his execution is at hand. Now Paul's writing to Timothy and Timothy's younger and he probably won't be executed before Paul will. He probably will live longer than Paul will. But Timothy's not going to live forever either. So the main message can't be Paul's got to keep going or Timothy's got to keep going. The main message is that the gospel of Jesus Christ has to keep going. And so that's what he gets to in verse 2. In verse 2 it says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I love this verse. We've looked at this verse, even though we haven't preached through the book of 2 Timothy yet. Uh, I've gone to this verse before because this verse, I think, is extremely important. One of the things I love about this verse is the layers or the generations that we see in this verse. We noticed this in our Bible studies this week over this passage. That what we see here is how many layers? Holding up my fingers. <laughs> Four, right? Four layers. Because Paul is saying to Timothy, what you have heard from me. So first layer was Paul, and Timothy heard it from him. And he now he's telling Timothy, entrust it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we see four layers there. This is really the theme verse and kind of the model behind the Pathways uh, ministry. Mark, Guy, and I have traveled to India to train a group of trainers there who have gone on to train others. The idea is multiple layers of training. We are now missions partners. We just started in the past year being a missions partner with Scott Carter, who is now going full-time with Pathways. Actually, this past week, Scott has been in Tanzania, Africa, and he's having a short break over the weekend, and he last week trained 16 trainers that they might go out into their communities and villages in Tanzania, training others to teach the Word of God. And he's doing the same thing this next week in a new city in Tanzania with a new group of trainers. They've already all gone through the book of Jonah to get together, and guess what book of the Bible that Scott is walking with them through this week and last week. Second Timothy, right? So he's walking with these trainers through the book of 2 Timothy. I love this model of recognizing it's not just about me being faithful. No, it's about me finding and being entrusted with the gospel and entrusting that then to others who would be able to teach others also. I love this model. So two commands so far for Timothy. Be strengthened by God's grace and entrust the gospel to faithful leaders. And then there's a third command that comes in verse 3, and it's a command we've already seen in chapter 1. Did you notice that? Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That command to share in suffering, we've seen that before. Up in chapter 1, verse 8, Paul tells Timothy, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Share in suffering. And then he shares these three examples. In verses 
4, 5, and 6, we see three different examples that Paul uses. And we had a really good time in our Bible studies this week on Monday morning, Wednesday evening. You're welcome to come to either of those. Monday morning, Wednesday evening, we got to look at these verses and try to spend some time figuring out what do these three things have in common? What is Paul using these three examples for and what's he trying to get across? And in verse 4, the example is a soldier. So look at verse 4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Then verse 5, it's an athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And in verse 6, it's a farmer. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So as we looked at these, what we noticed was this, that there was some level of disciplined work or effort required on the part of each of these people in each of these jobs. And for each of them, there was some sort of reward in the end. Right? So looking at the first one, the, the soldier would suffer, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then he talks about the soldier not getting entangled in civilian affairs. So acknowledging that if a soldier is going to accomplish his mission and please the enlisting officer, that's the reward here. If he's going to please the enlisting officer, there's a required focus. You can't get entangled in all sorts of other distractions, all sorts of rabbit trails. You need to be focused on the mission. And then the athlete is the next example in verse 5. There's a reward at the end, a crown, but how does the athlete get to the crown? By competing according to the rules. In our Monday morning study, we talked. We had some, some kids there who play basketball. So we talked about in basketball, it would be way more convenient if you didn't have to dribble the ball. Like if you didn't compete according to the rules, like I'm just going to take this thing and run with it because I can run faster holding a ball than I can dribbling a ball, right? But you're not going to win that way. If you want to win and get the crown, you need to compete according to the rules, which makes things harder. It's going to require some effort and some practice on learning to dribble the basketball. And then verse 6. Verse 6, the example is a farmer. A lot of you can relate to this. It's the hardworking farmer, Paul says, who ought to have the first share of the crop. So what's the reward? The reward is crops. How How do you get crops? Well, you have to do some hard work right? There's a lot of hard work that goes into it. I don't know if you knew this, but they did not have GPS guidance systems in their tractors in the first century. They didn't have that, right? So, so they had farmers today do hard work and farmers back then did hard work. It, it looked a little different, right? But there's hard work involved if you want to have a crop in the end. And Paul urges Timothy in verse 7 with the fourth command here, to think about these things and and acknowledging God's going to give you understanding in them. Well, I said in one of our Bible studies this week, (laughs) it's almost like that sentence could be at the end of every paragraph in all of the Bible, right? Think about these things, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything, right? And so we spent some time in Bible study thinking through these things. How, How is it that these things are all related? What's Paul trying to get across? I think what Paul is trying to get across is There's going to be some work required, but there is a reward at the end. Stay committed. Keep going. The the gospel must keep going. All of those jobs are hard. Soldier, athlete, farmer. 
How many of you have done one of those things? You've been either a soldier, athlete, or a farmer. Okay, That's a lot of people in here that know, okay, I can relate to what Paul is saying here. Hard jobs. And there's going to be something in them that causes suffering. A drill sergeant causes suffering. A coach sometimes causes suffering. Environmental conditions as a farmer cause suffering, right? All of those things. But the idea is, Paul's telling Timothy, be strengthened by the grace of God in Christ and keep going. Make sure the gospel gets passed on. You must continue in this work. So if the focus in verses 1 to 7 is must keep going, I think the focus shifts in verses 8 to 13 on the why keep going. Why keep going? Four commands in verses 1 to 7, but then there's only one more command in all of verses 8 through 13. It's right at the beginning there, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. It's not like Timothy forgot about Jesus. When he's called to remember, it's called to like call him to mind. Bring back to your mind, Timothy. Don't get so focused on all of the hard things in your job that you forget to just remember Jesus Christ. And I love the, the kind of part of the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul reminds Timothy of. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Remember that Jesus. Yes, the Jesus who suffered like you're about to suffer, but also keep in mind, Timothy, Jesus risen from the dead. If there's four reasons, which I think there are in this section, of why Paul is calling Timothy to keep going, reason number one is this, because Jesus is alive. Why should Timothy keep going even though it's going to get harder and harder? Because Jesus is alive. Jesus died in our place for our sins, but he did not stay dead. He's alive. And so Christians like Paul and like Timothy know that suffering and death are not the final word. Right? That's not the final word because we worship a Savior who has been risen from the dead and all of us who have died with him will also live with him, which Paul will get to here in just a moment. But reason number one, because Jesus is alive, which he preached, he says, in my gospel. And now, having mentioned the gospel, in verse 9, he remembers this. Look at verse 9, the beginning of it. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Paul's just reminding Timothy. Timothy's still free, doing his pastoral work in a with relative freedom. Paul's trying to be a missionary locked up in a prison awaiting likely execution. But Paul's not having a pity party. He's just acknowledging, this is, this is where I'm at. I'm bound with chains like I'm a criminal. But why does Paul keep doing this? Why should Timothy keep doing this? Look at the end of verse 9. But the word of God is not bound. Don't you love that? Earlier, remember the message like, Paul, Timothy, we're both going to die, but we need to make sure this gospel keeps going to others who will be able to entrust it to others. Paul, I'm bound up in chains. But I got some good news, Timothy. The word of God is not bound. They cannot bind the word of God. Whatever they do to me, whatever they do to you, whatever they do to all of us, the word of God will not be bound. So keep preaching it. 
That's, verse, that's reason two, because the word of God will not be bound. Reason three, I think, comes in verse 10. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Reason number three, why would Paul and Timothy keep enduring through suffering? Well, Paul just says it. It's for the sake of the elect. Those that God has chosen who have not yet uh, responded to the gospel, maybe because they haven't heard the gospel, right? So, so the doctrine of election isn't something that's, that, like, you know, one critique of, like, Calvinism or the idea of predestination is, oh, if God's already chosen them, then we don't need to do anything. That's not the way Paul looks at it. He acknowledges the doctrine of election, and that's what motivates him to keep doing it. Do you see that there? Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, right? That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What motivates Paul to keep going even though every time he preaches the gospel he seems to suffer for it? I'm going to keep going because God wants to save some people. God plans to save some people. And the means by which God saves people is through people faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's called me to do it. So suffer or no suffer, I'm going to do it. I'm going to endure everything for the sake of the elect. That they might share with us this this eternal glory in Christ Jesus that comes with our salvation. So, reason number three, because we want more people to be saved. And then reason number four, the fourth of the four reasons, I think comes in verses 11 to 13. And it comes in this trustworthy saying. I would summarize it this way, because we have an eye on the end. Why do we keep keep going even through suffering? Why do we keep doing this gospel ministry even though it's hard? I think it's because we have an eye on the end, and this passage shows us that. Paul is quoting here, starting in verse 11, some seemingly well-known poem or hymn or something like that. It's not, he's not quoting scripture, but he's quoting something well-known to Christians, it seems, at the time. He's got a song going through his head like I always do, and he's like, all right, I'm quoting song lyrics or, or a poem or whatever it might be. And here's the trustworthy saying. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. Right? If we've died with him, we'll also live with him. Uh, three weeks ago, I think it was. Naomi, did you get baptized three weeks ago? Three weeks ago, I think, right? We, we had a baptism. I preached from Romans chapter 6, this idea of being buried with Christ, right? And being raised to new life in Christ. Right? Died with him, we've also lived with him. That's what Paul's talking about here. Next, to the beginning of verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Uh, again, Paul's calling Timothy to endure. Paul is enduring, and he knows that this is not the end. It's not just suffering, execution, and that's it. No, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And then, it turns a little more negative in the end of verse 12 there. It says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. This is more of a warning. The beginning of verse 12 is like, stick with Jesus because of the reward. The end of verse 12 is, stick with Jesus because of the consequences if you don't. Right? If you deny him, he'll also deny us. He's really just quoting Jesus from Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. If you deny me, I will deny you before my Father who's in heaven, Jesus says. 
So Paul is just quoting him there. And then the fourth one is different. Do you notice how this one stands out a little bit? The fourth line of this poem. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Isn't that comforting? Anybody else here sometimes lack faith? <laughs> sometimes, like, you just you don't have the courage to do what you know you're supposed to do. Though we have occasional lapses of faithfulness, where we're less faithful, God is always faithful. That's really good news. So we have an eye on the end. It'll either be great reward or great punishment. So the fourth reason there is having an eye on the end. Okay, So that's Paul's message to Timothy. What's the message for us? Well, I think it's very, very similar. Message for us, I broke it up into two parts there in your outline. The, ba- the big message is this, keep going. Okay? Paul's message to Timothy was keep going. The message for us this morning is keep going. Right? Keep going. What must keep going? Well, the gospel must keep going. And we can expect hard work and suffering as we do that hard work. If you're looking for an easy job that has a reward coming with it, you don't become a soldier, an athlete, a farmer, or a gospel minister. Right? Soldiers die, athletes sweat and get injured, farmers get dirty, and they don't get to work nine to five. Timothy needed to know, and so do we, that passing on the gospel is hard, messy work, and suffering will come. About one month from today, another of our global missions partners, so we have four global missions partners. One of them uh, is Mary Beth Oyebade. A number of you know her because she used to be a part of this church, but it was a long time ago. She's, she's since gone on on a short-term mission trip that's lasted like 20-some years now to Nigeria, right? So she lives in Nigeria. That's where she's uh, married her husband and raised their family. And as they do the work of passing on the gospel, they're doing it in an environment that's a lot more dangerous than the United States of America. In fact, according to Open Doors, they say this, that more Christians were killed for their faith in Nigeria than in any other nation in the world in 2021. Do you know that? More Christians were killed for their faith in Nigeria than any other nation in the world last year. An estimated 4,650 believers were murdered in that year in the nation of Nigeria. But the Oyebade stay... Because, and, and, and all sorts of other believers stay and continue to do the work of gospel ministry because it must keep going. Now here in our church, no one has died for the sake of the gospel. But we are called, I think at very least, to make sacrifices for the sake of the gospel going on to the next generation. We can acknowledge, can't we, that children's ministry is hard? Like sometimes kids are hard to deal with and handle. A lot of times you pour yourself out in children's ministry and you don't see fruit right away. It can be a challenging kind of thing, but many of you continue to do it anyway. You're going to volunteer at VBS here in a couple weeks. You volunteer for Awana every year. You teach Sunday school. You do youth ministry. The gospel must keep going from generation to generation, layer to layer. And let me just address parents here for a second because I think that's ground zero. Parents, we must 
make a focused, intentional effort to disciple our children. They're being discipled by someone somewhere, right? And if it's not us being intentional about it, like, like the soldier not getting entangled in civilian affairs, but keeping his eye on the, like we need to help our kids keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. It doesn't just happen. Just like an athlete doesn't just happen to get a crown, a farmer doesn't just happen to get a crop without having a hard, disciplined, focused plan. Parents, what is your intentional, focused family discipleship plan? Church, we need to get the next generation grounded in the gospel. The kinds of things that they're going to, the worldviews that they're going to encounter um, in the world, or, not going to, they are encountering, right, in the world all around us. They're very, in many ways, anti-Bible, right? Anti, so, so we need to get them grounded while we have a chance. And, and like Pastor Nick uh, is a gifted, godly man who loves your kids and, 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 and does his ministry very well. But we just did a count. In our church family, we have 37 kids, infant through fifth grade, and 36 kids, sixth through twelfth grade. And then you add on top of that all of the others from outside of our church family that join us for Awana and youth group and all of that kind of stuff. Pastor Nick can't do it, right? If there were six kids, Pastor Nick couldn't do it. Right? And Pastor Nick's not supposed to do it. He's supposed to be a faithful minister of the gospel, partnering with you as parents. But parents, we need to be actively engaged in the discipleship of our kids. Generation to generation, this gospel must be passed on. And I don't want to let people that like, hey, well, my kids are grown. I'm off the hook. Oh, no, you're not. Right? We must keep going, I don't think until retirement, uh, but until death. American culture tells retired people, you've done your work, now you're done, relax. But our reward doesn't come after retirement, our reward comes after death, right? We expect from, from, from here until our death that we're going to do the work of passing on the gospel, and what might come from it is hard work, sacrifice, and suffering. Maybe that means you're the oldest volunteer in Awana this next year. Maybe that means you invest in young moms. Maybe your health doesn't allow you, to, allow you to commit to those things. But maybe you can give yourself to prayer in a way much more than you've ever done before. Maybe you are able to give finances generously so that if we decide, hey, we need to spend some more money to make this building bigger, to reach more people with the gospel, like, all right, I'm doing that. Right? Or maybe you hear of Scott Carter's ministry in places like Tanzania and like that model of training trainers to pass on the gospel. We need to do more of that. And you hear me tell you, like I'm going to tell you right now, that we as a church have partnered with Scott uh, and are giving quite a bit to him every month. But he's at about 85% of his support. If he wants to continue doing this full time, he needs a little bit more. Maybe you say, all right, I'm going to ask how I can get him a little bit more. Um, love to give you more information on that. There's all sorts of ways that we can work to ensure that the gospel keeps going from generation to generation, layer to, to layer. It must do that. And then the second and final point of application is this. Here's how and why we can do it. And I think we do it by looking beyond ourselves. If you're like me, it's really easy to get kind of tunnel vision. That happens when we get busy our whole life is just like focused on everything we've got to get done. That happens when we start suffering. When we're going through something hard, we kind of blind ourselves to other stuff and we're just kind of focused on ourselves. 
but I think we need to look beyond ourselves. So four things that come right out of this passage here. Where do we look? We look beyond ourselves, first of all, to Jesus. We need to look beyond ourselves to Jesus. That's what Paul tells Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Charles Simeon was a faithful pastor in England in the 17th and 18th centuries. He went through a lot of hard stuff. And one afternoon, his friend asked him, how have you endured persecution? Here's what he said. My dear brother, he said it with a British accent, so it would have been way cooler to hear him say this. We must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. When I am getting through a hedge, if my head and shoulders are safely through, I can bear the pricking of my legs. Let us rejoice in the remembrance that the holy head has surmounted all his suffering and triumphed over death. Let us follow him patiently. We shall soon be partakers of his victory. Jesus is alive, and we who trust in him are alive in him. Even though we die, yet shall we live. I love Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So good for us to be singing this new song, You've Already Won, while we're walking through this series. This reminder that we can hopefully sing to ourselves throughout this week that, yeah, we're fighting a battle. That is reality. We will be fighting a battle, but we're fighting a battle that he's already won. Hope it's a song that gives us courage. Number two. So we look beyond ourselves to Jesus, number two. We look beyond ourselves to the unbound word of God. Remember what Paul said to Timothy. But the word of God is not bound. Like they can lock me up. They can take away our freedoms and our rights. And maybe that comes at some point for us in this place. But the word of God will not be bound. Praise God, right? We need to look beyond ourselves. Not like, oh, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to the word of God? Well, it's going to go forward and it's going to accomplish that for which God has sent it out. We know that, right? We look beyond ourselves to the unbound word of God. Number three, we look beyond ourselves to unsaved people. Remember what Paul said, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We need to look beyond our busy lives and our suffering, whatever else is getting all of our attention, and look at the mass of unsaved people out there and say, like Paul, I'm going to endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then number four, finally, we look beyond ourselves to eternity. The rewards that Paul uses in these examples, think about them for a second. The the soldier does these things to please the enlisting officer. How long is an enlisting officer going to be happy with that soldier? Probably not going to last long, right? An athlete gets a crown. I told people in our Bible study, I got a whole bunch of stuff that I won back in high school in a Rubbermaid tote in the rafters of my garage, and I'm probably never going to take it down. Like, it's not going to last, right? A farmer? Yeah, it has a, a farmer has a reward, crops. What do you do with crops? Eat them, right? They're gone. That's it. All these things, like they're so temporary, but we're aiming at something much more eternal. If we lived with him, or if we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Listen to these words from the last chapter of the Bible. No longer will there be anything accursed. 
but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Church, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let's look beyond ourselves so that we might endure in the hard, suffering-inducing work of passing on the gospel from one generation to the next until Jesus comes again. Let's pray. God, we are weak and we acknowledge it. We're not ashamed of it. We just, we just know it. We're weak. And we need to be strengthened again by your grace. And I thank you that that grace is ours in Christ Jesus. So God, would you strengthen us? Not for our own comfort, but would you strengthen us so that we might spend our lives enduring suffering and working hard to get the gospel to the next generation? God, would you help us to fix our eyes on Jesus who lived, who died, who rose, who is even now at your right hand interceding for us. 